0: Are listening to the Upswell podcast. This podcast was recorded on ancient country of the Wajuk people of the Noongar Nation, who remain the spiritual and cultural custodians of this land. I'd like to acknowledge their continuing connection to country and express gratitude to elders past and present for their strength and creativity. Hello, and welcome to the Upswell podcast. My name's Misha Williams, and today I'll be talking to Stuart Barnes, author of a new book of poetry titled *Light to the Lark, which will be published by Upswell on the 2nd of February in 2023. Stu's a poet from Hobart. His first book, Glass Houses, won the 2015 Arts Queensland Thomas Shapcott Poetry Prize and was commended for the 2016 Anne Elder Award. And shortlisted for the 2017 Mary Gilmore Award. His poem Cerberus Watches Eros was nominated for the 2020 Pushcart Prize. Offworld Ghazal was shortlisted for the 2020 Montreal International Poetry Prize. And Sestina After B. Carlisle won the 2021 22 Gwen Harwood Poetry Prize. Welcome, Stu. It's so great to have you here.
1: Thank you, Misha. It's wonderful to be here.
0: I wonder if you could start us off with a reading from Light to the Lark, um, one of my favourite poems, uh, In Heaven I'll Be Quite Normal.
1: I'd love to, uh, thank you very much. And uh, yeah, thanks for again having me on and for, for talking about this poem over the last couple of days. Before I read the poem, I'd just like to acknowledge that I'm uh, joining a podcast today from Durhamville country in central Queensland and I pay my respects to Elders, uh, past and present. In heaven I'll be quite normal, or Pentina to Doom Kennedy after the Smiths. But in Tasmania I'm diabolical, quite the opposite of normal. Faggot, poof, grim reaper, barbarism begins at home. I thank the other kids with gory smiles. Goodness, sighs my mother, bleaching and starching shirts. Goodness, sighs the chaplain, tamping psalms into my throat until I'm gulping, gaga. Thank you for opening up, though there's quite, sighs the headmaster ritually, a ways to go before. Normal's how I'll feel seven years on, sculpting misshapes. Normal, seventeen years on. Will compact my foundation, goodness. Even the monster ball tour in twenty one will leave me quite breathless. Heaven knows I'm miserable now. I'm low as all hell. So who to thank for this weakness at the knees? For Jesus, thank you, vicarina tutu, for passing out behind the altar. A normal Sunday morning, all night spritzes at Lacage. I'm renewing the vow. No goodness in Homo adulthood. Quite horrifying. In fifty eight Noel shot himself. His bert got three years. Quite terrifying, I might get up to twenty one. So who to thank for this panic? No truth, beauty, or goodness at the dead centre of Lorna Dune. Quite normal, pleasance Kennedy. In seven years I'm going to cruise the strait, a handsome devil, I'm not quite super normal, so I'll manage my pleasance. Thank the Lord for his goodness.
0: Hearing that has just changed the poem for me. Um, it's, so, it's so great to hear it in your voice. Um, that line, um, the headmaster sighing, um, a ways to go before normal, that just hit me like a tonne of bricks, um, Thank you so much. I wonder if you could talk to us a bit about the background for this poem.
1: Sure, Um, I'd love to, thanks. So uh, the the end words of this pentina, the pentina, the form of this poem, uh, I'm quite normal, thank goodness. And they were actually spoken by uh, Doon Kennedy, who was uh, the 67th Lord Mayor of Hobart, where I was born and grew up. And, uh, Doom Kennedy was a number of politicians who were, uh, deeply, proudly and outspokenly homophobic. And, uh, growing up with that homophobia sort of being broadcast on television and radio was extremely difficult. And I remembered, uh, watching, um, An interview between uh, sorry, an interview with Doon Kennedy on Hinch at Seven, and the interviewer asked her, Do you find the idea of men having sex with men or women having sex with women quite offensive? And Dune's reply was, I do. I'm quite normal, thank goodness. So that (laughs) that intense homophobia was the main spark for the poem, and it reminded me of other sources of homophobia um, at school, um, homophobia from family. Um, It also reminded me of ways that I um, responded to that homophobia, and one way was uh, losing myself in music, which is why there's an alternative title to the poem, The Smiths at the time, when I I was a teen, were one of my favourite bands and I listened to their music a lot. And uh, the sort of ambiguity around Morrissey's sexuality was something that um, I found interesting. And he was a... From memory, Morrissey wasn't out at the time, but just the fact that... That this ambiguity was spoken about and that particularly in in the UK uh, in the 80s um, you had um, musicians like Boy George um, and uh, Marilyn who I think was also from the UK who were extremely flamboyant and uh, there was very little of that in Australia. In fact, I don't think there was anything like, um, you know, maybe, you know, there was a bit of camp in Kylie and... The Shantusis, uh, which I loved when I was a teenager. But, uh, yeah, so they, they were sort of the sources of the poem. And I really wanted to meditate on, on that phrase. I'm quite normal. Thank goodness, which is why the poem took the shape of the pentina with those end words, uh, repeating. Um, and essentially the poem is written as a version of 11 year old me thinking about leaving Tasmania and what might come after and will where i moved to be as homophobic as as Hobart was um when i was growing up it was um you know it was illegal to have sex with another man and that law which carried the harshest penalty in the western world which was up to 21 years in jail um uh was overturned in 1997 so about a year and a half after i had moved from Hobart to Melbourne, um, so it was quite astonishing that it was the last state in Australia, and that you know, if you were gay in Tasmania, you were really up against it.
0: Up against it is a <laughs> <laughs> is a gentle term for for what you must have been experiencing. I mean, eleven years old when your worldview is being shaped. Mm. And like you're saying, yeah, where you're trying to find a home and a safe space, um, how that must have felt. Um, and I mean, I assume as well, you know, coming out into that kind of world uh, would have been so difficult.
1: Well, it was. And then, I mean, the idea of the concept of coming out was, you know, I, <laughs> I'm, not go- I, I'm not going to come out. You know I've seen what happens you know I uh, yeah I, I you know when I was around 17 I I I, I made a, f- a friend who was also gay and uh, I sort of went to a group at the um, at the AIDS council in Hobart which was for young gay men who were having difficulty coming out or having difficulty with families coming out and you know we'd meet every Saturday morning and you know it, it felt I almost felt like going into, into the building, like that sense is, is anyone going to see me? I wanted a big raincoat to hide under. Um, and I wasn't, I wasn't actually really given the opportunity to come out. I was outed at high school. Um, not only at my school, but the people who outed me at my school outed me at three sister schools as well. So there were literally thousands of kids who knew that. I was gay, so I was quite angry that I'd had that um, occasion uh, taken away from me, and I very quickly then did tell my close friends, who were amazing, and I also told my headmaster, uh, who was also amazing, and and uh, called an assembly straight away, and uh, I told him about the homophobia I'd been receiving from not only the kids, but also the teachers, and yeah he called this assembly and said if if any homophobia continues teachers will be fired students will be uh expelled so it was wonderful having um you know those people on side um as as well as uh the responses from family when when i told them as well
0: it's so important having having someone and i mean when when you've got again when you've got these messages in your playing in your living room on the television i mean that's so, you know, even to talk about your principal like that, about that, mm. it's terrifying.
1: Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I thought, well, <laughs> am I going to be kicked out of school after I tell him? But, you know, I was, I was actually receiving death threats at school. So it reached the point where the violence was actually oh God. so extreme. And at that point, my parents didn't know and I didn't know. You know, I didn't know who to tell. So my principal was the only one who knew at that stage about that. So it was very extreme, um, you know, and sometimes these things, I'm fine speaking about this now, but sometimes these things still do come up. Um, I mean, you know, gay friends and I in Hobart, you know, we knew people who, who took their lives uh, because of their experiences. And uh, we also knew other people who, you know, finished high school and got out of Tasmania. Um You know, uh, immediately, um, and, and not only seeing the homophobia in the media, but also you know around the age of eleven that was the time when the Grim Reaper campaign, which is and the Grim Reaper is mentioned in this poem because you know gay people equals AIDS, and uh, yeah, so that was um, that was sort of happening around the same time as well uh, as I, as I was hearing. This, this very intense homophobia, the Grim Reaper campaign, came out and that ramped up and, and gave a lot more power to uh, these politicians who were very vocal about homophobia.
0: It's just, it's sickening to to think of how recent in history mm. these things were happening and how still recent in other countries here as well Um it's this stuff is still ongoing and it's scary. And I wanted to know, um, having these kinds of experiences, do you feel like it affects your poetic practice now? I mean, I'm really interested in these enjambed lines that you have in a lot of these poems, particularly in this one. Um, you've got these sometimes um, whole words are jammed across a line break um, and you've got this feeling of maybe reluctance to complete the whole word. Um, yeah can you can you speak on that?
1: Yeah sure um, I, I think I, what just popped into my head I guess is fracture, and I'm interested in um, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I guess not only uh, having, you know, a, a whole word ending a line, but, but how, how a word can be broken over a line and, um, how, how poetry can be a reflection that, of that kind of brokenness, but also of mending also, um, and of not only representing brokenness, but also representing mending and repair and, um, movement and, Moving through and forward and beyond. Um, and I've become more interested, uh, the longer I've written in, in breaking, uh, breaking words over lines, uh, in that way. Um, or even, you know, breaking up a word within a line. Um, yeah, there are, there are, I think in here there's a word, yeah, normal and, Um, apostrophe LL are separated by several words. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm really trying to place that emphasis on the word normal. I mean, what, what is normal? You know, growing up hearing that you're not normal and, and it, it, it definitely has shaped a lot of my work. I mean, my, uh, I suppose my poetry began as, as a way, as as a form of angry venting, and it took me some time to learn that, a, for me anyway, a poem, my poetry is is well, f- sorry, for me a poem is more than that. Um, my early poems read as um, diary entries, um, and um, I don't I'm not condoning people whose poems do poetry. <laughs> Poetry can be in any form, um, but I, I prefer to really work with a word. And I think it's why I adore forms like the pentina, the sestina, the tritina, because those end words are fixed and you're trying to squeeze as much from those particular words. and uh, And also when I was thinking about this collection, like to the lark after I finished Glass Houses and that came out and I was starting to write the first few poems. I was listening a lot to, uh, Fotec's drum and bass record, uh, Form and Function, which was the working title for this collection. And I, uh, there was a Sestina in my first book, Glass Houses, a number of sonnets, and I became interested in, in, um, in a phrase called Flexing the Form, um, which is a part of the American poet Sandra Beasley's essay on the Sestina and how um a number of poets have uh have flexed the Sestina. Um Lawrence Schimmel, an American poet, has created the decaying Sestina which loses a line of stanza. Uh, so there are a couple of decaying Sestinas in in this book. Um, so I'm really I'm really interested in what in sort of turning a form on its head and also um, creating, uh, inventing new forms as well. Um, hmm.
0: Yeah, I find that so interesting, particularly what you said about fracture and repair. I'm thinking about that that duplex um, that I'll get you to read a little bit later.
1: Mm, um, Sure.
0: About... you know that a uh, almost a divided house or a divided church or even a divided self um that feeling of maybe being broken in two and then reinventing something coming back together um yeah, I guess I just wanted to ask you about um is that does that feel like a necessary process to kind of rebuild yourself and maybe rebuild experiences um in these poems after fracture has happened.
1: It does. Um, I think from being told at a, from a very early age that I'm not normal, that I don't fit into a particular mould, and these, these fixed form poems are moulds, and there's a safety in, for me anyway, in writing in these fixed forms. But the um, the part of me that is rebellious wants to write against those forms. Mm. Um, and I also want to, I mean, uh, w- when Jericho Brown invented the duplex, he invented it for a particular reason, and it was a form, it was a, 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 for, it was a uh, sorry, it was a combination of the sonnet, the guzzle, and the blues poem. Um, and he was writing about very um, sort of intensive um, personal experiences. Um, in some of my duplexes in the book, I write about uh, plants, sort of persona poems. um and i'm- inter- I'm interested in okay, well, a poem has been invented for a particular reason, but you know, can it also be used in another way uh for another reason? um yeah, and and look, you know, for me it's... This is fun, you know, like, uh, this is what I've been wanting to, to do. I, you know, I, from the age of five, I, I've wanted to write and, uh, I didn't know at the time that I wanted to write poetry. That, that knowledge came later. Uh, but I, I, I do recall after finishing Glasshouses, I tried to write, uh, some prose poems and some, Which which a prose poem is a form in itself, I tried to write poems that weren't sonnets, that weren't sestinas, and it wasn't working for me. And I realised that I needed, uh, the more I listened to that FOTEC record, Form and Function, the more I realised I needed to write about, to write using forms. Um, and then I started discovering, uh, new forms. The, the tritina was invented by an American poet, Marie Ponceau, and one of her colleagues, Rosemary Dean. And, um, Marie, I believe, once referred to it as the square root of the sestina. Um, there's another, the, great.
0: The, the, it is,
1: isn't it? It is. <laughs> and I love, it, I love that little nod to, to mathematics in there as well. Mm. Um, there are also some poems called trios, which are eight-line poems with repetition. Um, it's it's interesting reading reading poems written in these forms too. Some poets will adhere to the rhyme and refrains really strictly, and and sometimes I do that, and sometimes I don't. And again, that comes back to the fun of what we do. You know, like mm. for me, the fun of doing this is really important. Um, if I'm not enjoying Writing something, if I if it's not going somewhere, I'll stop and come back to it. And if it's still not, then I'll I'll stop for a while. But but yes, form uh, yes, sort of that fracture and division is particularly important. I I loved the duplex as a form because it because of its uh, uh, deriving from the sonnet and the guzzle and the blues poem, which are three forms that I do really adore. Um, and also the, the repetition of the end words in there also. And uh, yeah.
0: That's so beautiful, that idea of um, using a form um, because it feels safe as well. That's something um, you were saying. And I mean, it's understandable that you were looking for a safe form place and whether that was in you know in in the world looking for somewhere to go or in poetry but then that that feeling when you did start writing into that form that you wanted to rebel that you wanted to break things down because at the same time those kind of structures you know that might have felt safe might have also been um the things that felt yeah limiting and and oppressive
1: absolutely which was how i felt at at You know, at high school. uh, Yeah. Which is how I felt at university, which is how I felt growing up in Tasmania. Um, and I, it's, it's just, it's another way to sort of work within, um, to work within structure, but also to rebel against that structure. I, I just want to say too that those words fracture and repair, um, uh, that, that's, that's not my phrase. That's actually the phrase of, um, Felicity Plunkett, who's a close friend and a poet and a critic. And, uh, yeah, I just wanted to acknowledge that. Um, Felicity and I speak about those concepts um, often. And it's, uh, yeah, the idea of um, healing through poetry, that was one of the reasons why I really started taking poetry seriously. I was particularly Psychologically unwell a number of years ago, and I read that Anne Sexton's therapist uh, recommended she write a sonnet a day, and that's what I started doing.
0: Wow! Yeah, <laughs> <That's> amazing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and it, it 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 apparently it helped the Sexton, and it it helped me too. Um, uh,
0: uh, how did it help? What what was the kind of? Um, yeah, I mean, when you wrote that sonnet, um, what did you... I mean, you mentioned something at the end of this work in your notes about um, you quote um, Marie Ponceau uh, talking about forms pulling things out of you.
1: Mm, yes, um, yes. And
0: was it like that, writing a sonnet? Was it pulling something out?
1: It was. It was pulling out and also ordering. And again, there being that fixed form, that structure, to be able to order what at the time was quite... Uh, jumbled psycholo- psychologically, um, mm. and and uh, so in the beginning, writing in fixed forms um, was uh, a shot in the arm, I suppose. It 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 really sort of honed my concentration and enabled me to think clearly about what I was experiencing at the time and. Then, because that had been contained within the poem, within the fixed form, I was then able to think about the next thing and put that into a poem. And <clears throat> it was very slow at the beginning, but, but over time I, yeah, I became healthier and happier and, and started, started writing much fewer I started writing far fewer sonnets and uh, and exploring other forms.
0: After all that talk about um, form, uh, I wonder if you could read that duplex starting with uh, "In the beginning, I was a house."
1: Sure, thanks, Misha. Uh, so there's a there's a small epigraph. I'll just read that. Uh, so, and if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Mark three twenty-five. Duplex. In the beginning, I was a house of God. Frankincense pieces were swung by icons. Sweet Jesus, can sense be swung into the heathens who tenant me now. Impenitent heathens, split in two now, I am beside myself, far from detached. I am beside myself. I feel detached from the carpenter who bore my tongue and groove, never talked with a forked tongue, and built the four evangelists up. I can't handle this tilted discord. Up pipe St. Mark, a house divided can't stand. I pipe, a house divided can't stand. In the beginning I was a house.
0: This this poem is, it's, it's so, there's something so haunting about it, um, but it's also very beautiful, but in that kind of that sort of Yates' Terrible Beauty way. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it, it's so interesting, the, the layers to this. I mean, um, you know, the the idea of, of writing from um, the perspective, or writing in the voice of a church, um, but also that idea of the, you know, in psychoanalysis, the self. Being a house, and that feeling of being beside yourself, like the fact that you've made us acutely aware of that really common phrase, but now I'm seeing it in this in this new light. Um, mm. Yeah, it, it's it's really yeah, it's it's a great poem. Um, Thank you was it mainly about the church for you or is it also a kind of psychological poem or where, where did you see it coming from, I guess?
1: Uh, no, definitely both. Um, the uh, the The first inspiration was, um, and, and this goes back a number of years, probably around nine or 10 years, when I first moved to central Queensland and lived in a coastal town of Yipoon and uh, there was a beautiful small chapel and, uh, pass it every day and think, I'd, I'd really love to live in that chapel. Um, it was white weatherboard, beautiful windows, um, just a really gorgeous shape. And um, someone bought that chapel and moved it up onto a hill and converted it into a house. Um, Wait, they moved it? They moved it, yes. Um, so, because of its size, I imagine they would have cut it in two to oh re- relocate it, as they do transporting Queenslanders and, and other sort of large houses. And uh, I find it fascinating that a palm can have its seed in something that happened a decade ago, but it can take as long as it takes sometimes a decade to actually be written. Um, so, and I also came across an article about a uh, a church. Sorry. A, well, yes, a church, a small church in Victoria that looked very much like this chapel here um, that was also converted uh, into a house. And uh, so I was f- thinking um, of the church Becoming the home, but also the psychology. And I was, I was also thinking of the, the two hemispheres of the brain as well and the differences of those, uh, the differences between the hemispheres. Um, but there are, there are inspirations going back even further. Um, the frankincense pieces, uh, being swung. It was one of, probably one of the only things I loved about going to church <laughs> when, mm-hmm. when I was a kid. Um, just the smell, um, the sweetness and the headiness also. So there were, there were sort of things, uh, old, older, older inspirations that, that made their way, uh, into the poem. Um, and carpentry something that I've always been interested in, but I'm, I'm terrible at. I was not a good <laughs> not a good woodworker at high school. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> oh, that's so. it's really interesting, though. That kind of woodworking and poetry and music. I mean, do you, do you see any of those um, activities feeding into each other?
1: I do. Um, I see. Um, you know, over the years, I've had conversations with people who don't think that there's anything creative about being a carpenter or maybe perhaps going off on too much of a tangent, anything creative about being a surgeon or mm. uh, a, a plumber. But I think there's creativity in, in everything. And I yeah. think, you know, a, uh, a, a poem such as the duplex, which comes from a sonnet, which in Italian uh, is, is from sonetto, meaning little song um you know so th- there's music all through the duplex there's music through the sonnet i mean it, it it's just uh it's it's just there
0: i mean as you're saying they're all creative kind of practices aren't they because i guess i guess it comes into like how you see creativity as well um you know what that what that is for you
1: yes i it, just actually to briefly Go back to um, to Marie Ponceau. Um, mm. She I'm just just going to bring up that little quote by her. So she talks of forms, she says of forms that they're instruments of discovery. They create an almost bodily pleasure in the poet. And when I first read that, I thought I thought even more about this concept of of the poem as a body and mm. a body with a mind and perhaps a soul. Um, and that's my, that's how I think about creativity. When you're, you know, when you're, when you're a carpenter, you're creating a sort of body. When you're a surgeon, you're working with a body. And I think of poems as bodies. Also, I, I know that Tori Amos, her songs speak to her and, and she has a belief that they are um beings
0: that's fascinating um this idea of uh maybe even creativity having some responsibility for this other being that you're working on or working with um you know and it's it's bringing to mind like the idea of even like a communication between um between two entities and i i I kind Mm -hmm. of wanted to ask Mm -hmm. you like as well you know on that idea of communication i mean uh, many of these poems start with epigraphs um and some of them are from public figures some of them are from victorians um from uh, the bible um I, i wanted to ask you more about um why you invite these voices into conversation with your poems and how you imagine those conversations taking place. Like, are they arguments? Are they back and forths?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll run with the, the biblical epigraphs first. Um, mm. I, I was strongly encouraged to go to church as a kid uh, <laughs> and also to Sunday school. And didn't enjoy any aspect of it other than uh, reading the incense. The the, the incense, yes, the frankincense, (laughs) and the Bible. And I find the Bible to be full of rich, vivid, brilliant stories. Um, I'm not a religious person. Um, I don't. I don't believe in a God, um, but there's something about um, the lessons that are taught in the Bible that I appreciate about, uh, I, I guess, when people, people speak about true Christianity, um, those ideals, uh, kindness, Um, friendship, um, helping people. And they were, they were things that really stuck with me, as well as, you know, fabulous images like a burning bush. Mm. So I think for somebody who's very young, who may already have an idea that they, want to write or become a painter, there there are some really astonishing images that that really lasted. uh, Sorry, that have lasted. Um, So yeah, I I occasionally do um, turn to the the Bible, the King James Version online and have a little read. I, I find it fascinating.
0: I'd love you to talk about um, uh, the Saddam Hussein.
1: Oh, yes. Um, okay. Uh, so the poem is The Being um, and the epigraph is representatives of the gay community are no better than Saddam Hussein. And that was spoken by a former Olveston, Tasmania councillor, Jack Brini, uh who I think I mentioned earlier. There were people, politicians in Tasmania calling for homosexuals to be rounded up and shot, and he was one of those people. He was he was extremely homophobic. And the full quote also is oops, it's, representatives of the gay community are no better than Saddam Hussein or the murderers of Anita Kobe. And uh, it, it's just so deeply offensive and... Mm uh, you know, to, yeah, to invoke, um, what Anita Cobby experienced. Um, and it's the languaging as well, you know, representatives of the gay community. And, and that was something that we encountered a lot in Hobart that was almost like we're out, we were out sort of recruiting for you know the the gay organization
0: <laughs> the gay agenda
1: <laughs> the gay agenda exactly yes thank you that's yeah that, that that's that's how that's how gay people were spoken you know we were sort of a, a a mob recruiting people to our to our agenda and to speak of you know to compare to compare gay people to uh, Saddam Hussein and the murders of Anita Ko it's still. It still really horrifies me. Um, mm,
0: it is, and uh, mm. it feels like it feels like this poem then is kind of exposing. You know, you're using that epigraph to expose um, those. You know, those kinds of um, statements and the people um, making them.
1: Absolutely. I mean, as much as I, uh, I, for example, I won't share anything. Like that quote on Twitter because I don't want to amplify it in that um, mm. forum, but I'm happy to amplify uh, to sort of amplify that that comment and comments like it in poetry because it's about the breaking again. It's about the breaking down mm. of that. Uh, it, it, well, sort it, it, Sorry, it's twofold. It's about amplifying it, uh, and. Uh, so that people are aware of the history, um, and are aware that, you know, that, that history can be lived through and that it's possible to move through and beyond that. Um, mm. but to also to then to break those words down and crush them as those people tried to crush the spirit of so many people, uh, in the gay community um yeah in in Tasmania
0: yeah yeah it feels like it's about taking that that back and a a little bit about power as well you know I guess you when you put something on social media as well unless you turn the comments off it's kind of out of your hands but I guess you know being able to put it um place it where you want to place it in your book of poems and being able to write around it and respond to it break it down as you said crush it Mm. um it must it must offer you just that bit of power back
1: it does and um again coming back to form that's what forms enable also the the being uh, this this poem we're talking about is a villanelle so you've got a series of words that rhyme with saddam uh, one of them is Adam, one of them is uh madame or madame um and there's a power or a I see a power and a breaking down, a power and a dissolving, I suppose, in that repetition also mm. again, the sort of that duality of amplification and dissolving,
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely,
1: yeah, which I think about a lot when I'm not only working in forms but writing writing um generally
0: yeah and it's it's really interesting as well, you know, quoting that line there, but I ought to be your Adam, like these threads of of other um literary texts as well that you see you know there's there's such a rich um intertextuality to this whole collection. Um, and it's kind of interesting because at times right you're using these epigraphs, you're exposing, responding. Dissolving, crushing, um, but then you're also using um, these older texts and kind of, I guess, um, using them for your purposes. At least that's how I, I'm reading it. Um, yeah, H- how do you think about that?
1: Uh, I agree. Another one, actually, in which I uh, use it to, uh, uh, well, in that way is is in the poem Royal. Poinciana Dolonix regia. Um, it's another epigraph from the Bible. Uh, Samson, <coughs> uh, and Samson said, "Let me die by the Philistines." And he bowed him, himself with all his might. And uh, this poem is um, the speaker of this poem is a royal Poinciana. And uh, towards the end of the poem, the the tree is uh, is actually uh, speaking a version of of that epigraph uh, from the Bible. Um, so, yeah. Again, again, it's a way of. I, I loved, and still, I still love the story of Samson and Delilah. Um, mm. And I did have a crush on Samson in <laughs> in Sunday school. <laughs> uh, so that was yeah. There's a little bit of that in there, in this poem too, uh, and and you know this. The tree in this poem is quite, um, yeah, it's quite upset about the way it's being treated uh, by the couple who are mowing around it. Um, in Glass Houses, there were several centos, uh, which are poems uh, pieced together of other, uh, other poets' lines, or sometimes a cento might be comprised of uh, lines from a song but i 've always been quite interested in found poetry, and a, a cento is a form of found poetry. I was just thinking actually about um, about these epigraphs and how i 'm um, interested in how a another speaker m- uh, might be the voice behind um, these epigraphs uh, so in a way i 'm um, uh, not recontextual, well, yes, recontextualizing them, but also respeaking um, these epigraphs. Um, so obviously acknowledging uh, the original speaker of the of, of the words of the phrases, but also um, then adding or or changing that. And and I think perhaps that that comes from my uh, my interest in in found poetry and, in particular, in writing a cento, sort of of piecing together um, uh, something from other texts, which is why there are a lot of references to other texts and music and uh, pop culture uh, in these poems. I love that Mm -hmm. putting together of... um, Yeah, that putting togetherness.
0: Thank you, Stu, for being on the show. You can catch our part two very shortly. Like to the Lark is going to be released by Upswell on the 2nd of February and you can pre-order it from the website now. The music in this podcast was Mark Isaac's composition, Have One More, played by Simon Tedeschi for the ABC recording, Tender Earth. You can follow Upswell Publishing on Instagram at upswellpublishingau and on Twitter at upswellp. Subscribe and listen to more episodes on Spotify and on Apple Music.